1: UEFA announces the introduction of a third European club competition, leading Stan Kroenke to wonder, how little does Arsenal have to spend to qualify for that one? This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We are back. The Interlal is the thief of all things good and true in the world, but we are doing a podcast today, and we're going to do it a little differently because we don't have a match to discuss. Having said that, Emery has not lost a match uh, in the last two weeks, which is great. Neither has Arsenal. So we're going to have a neutral, the dreaded neutral, on the podcast first to discuss with us where we could possibly uh, make a run at top four, what he makes of Emery so far and Arsenal so far, a little bit on Ramsey and Ozil as well. Uh, Then Tim and Clive are down the line. They will give you all the usual waffle that you've heard before, Uh, but I invite you to listen to it anyway because we're going to record it. But let's start with that neutral, and that neutral is Mike Goodman. He is the managing editor of Statsbomb, one of the premier analytics companies in the world for football today. Uh, He is also one of the co-hosts of the Double Pivot Pod. It is uh, co-hosted by another guy named Mike. I may be talking to that Mike. I'm really not entirely sure which is which, but the Mikes host that, and I definitely recommend listening to it. It is a great uh, full Premier League coverage, actually European football coverage of a podcast, so you definitely want to hear it, the Double Pivot Podcast, and you can follow Mike on Twitter at the m underscore L underscore G. Okay, that's all out of the way. Now I can introduce him. Hello, Mike. Hey, how are you? Uh, Great. It's so good to talk to you. Uh, I've admired your work from afar and now uh, a pleasure to speak to you on the podcast. And I think where we want to start is just your uh, overview of the top six races you see it right now. I think it is fair to say that Liverpool and City have distanced themselves. Uh, I know it's early in the season, but just based on the quality of those teams, uh, what we can extrapolate from that, let's put them out of reach If I'm an Arsenal fan wanting to finish in the top four, if I see that as the goal, can you sort of help uh, handicap for me that race vis-a-vis Spurs, Chelsea, and United and where our opportunity might be to get into that top four?
2: Sure. I think, um, I mean, the first place you're going to look is at Manchester United because they still, despite looking better in the last couple of weeks, uh, I guess the last month since we're now two weeks into international break, um, they still have significant questions and there's still sort of this significant Josie Mourinho possibility that everything just kind of implodes. Um, we're now on the second year in a row where, you know, despite them finishing second in the league last year, they weren't actually that impressive of a team. And it was an amazing year by David De Gea that at least sort of from the numbers standpoint kept them way above where we'd expect to be them to be. So if you're looking for a team that's going to kind of perhaps really come back to the pack hard, they would be a pretty good candidate. Um, they really, like, despite the like, the points difference, they were not all that much better a team than Arsenal last year.
1: Um,
2: and then I think probably Spurs
1: would be your next best. We love hearing best. that. We, we love hearing yes. a little tease of St. Totteringham's Day. Go on. We're ready for this I one. I mean, it's just. <laughs>
2: There's a, a lingering concern that, you know, Harry Kane's stratospheric season from last year may not be repeatable for whatever reason. Um, you know, the, he was injured at the, during the back half of last season. He was – like despite still scoring goals, his his shooting numbers came way down and they haven't really bounced back. Whether you want to say that's, that's sort of a recovery from injury issue, whether you want to say it's just like – being that hot for that long wasn't gonna continue um and if he's not quite what he was look there's tons of talent on spurs but i think you can make the argument that that team has played very close to the ceiling of its ability for a number of years now and so all it takes is for a couple of players to have a bad year for whatever reason for their performance to to sort of slide and and erode.
1: Would it be fair Um, to say also that given that they are uh, an aggressive pressing team, in fact, maybe the most aggressive now that Liverpool, I think, are a little bit uh, more uh, careful about how they press, that the combination of having a small squad, Champions League competition, and a pressing team, and a lot of players who went deep in the World Cup, that they could be the ones that suffer most from fatigue as the season goes on?
2: I mean, it's certainly possible. Um... You know those kinds of questions can really—they're hard to game out in advance because so much of it is influenced by injury, and some of it, so much of it is, interest, is influenced by sort of the the path of your season. You know, if they draw Manchester City in the second round of the or the third round of the FA Cup or whatever, and they only have one one FA Cup match, well, you know, then then fatigue becomes less of an issue, right? If they have um, A rough beginning to the group stage so that they have to play all of their starters at the back half of the group stage of the Champions League. Well, that makes things harder. You know, I I think everybody likes to project and, and sort of predict fatigue early on in the season. I think it's probably a more complicated problem than we give it sort of credit for.
1: Well, at Arsenal, we're also just used to players getting injured and then being out for 36 months at a time. So maybe maybe it's a little PTSD that? on our part. Um, one thing that confuses me, i look, well, a lot of things confuse me. I'm just going to pick one of them. Ch- <laughs> Chelsea's getting a lot of good press right now. Uh, we got to see them up close and personal in one game at Stamford Bridge and they gave up four big chances in a half before Emery reverted to his rumored cautiousness and we basically sat back for the whole second half and didn't really press our advantage. Um, they've beaten some teams that aren't very good. They've escaped some games, from what I've seen, and they were extremely open down the flanks uh, against us. So, is it fair to say that maybe Chelsea's getting better press than they deserve, or have you been as impressed with them as some of the, the mainstream media?
2: Well, I think it's clear that they're not sort of the, the Maurizio Sarri finished product yet, um, which is understandable. I mean, as a manager, he came in very, very late this summer. But... It's a good thing if you're a team that takes all the points while you're sort of playing yourself into the team you're going to be. That's fair. <laughs> um, and, and so that that sort of from my from my prediction looking forward standpoint, when you start off perfect and I expect you to to improve, that's sort of a dangerous combination. So yes, I think probably they're somewhat overrated based on their performances to date, but given that they've taken all the points, and I expect those performances to improve, that's sort of a formidable combination.
1: Are they playing sorry Ball the way you expected them to, or has there been some variation on it?
2: They're trying to. I, I think the execution isn't quite there yet. I think you can look at things like Eden Hazard still has this habit of dropping deep to pick up the ball in midfield, and you'd expect um, the Sari system to to have him staying higher up the pitch. Um, I expect that to kind of come as the season moves along and as they learn to sort of trust their midfield more as they go. I think at the same time on the other side of the field, either Pedro or William, they. For years, they've been asked to come infield and combine um, with Hazard and sort of overload one side or the other. Under sorry, what you expect is for that opposite winger to stay wide uh, and sort of lurk at the opposite fullback as as a goal scoring threat. Um, it's it's what Calleone did at, at Napoli for years. And again, you see it work and you see them maintain their position 70, 75 percent of the time. And then you can sort of see these these passages of play where the old instincts take over. Um, So I think that Sari is implementing the system I expect him to implement, but it's taking a little bit of time to get there.
1: That's fair. I guess I just look at them and I say they've downgraded their keeper. They don't have fullbacks, really. I mean, not really. Um, not defensively anyway, they do have arguably the best player, potentially the best player in the league in Hazard, but they don't have reliable goal-scoring center forwards. I'll admit I thought Morata would be better, but I think at this point we have to admit he's uneven at best. And if you know anything about me, you know how I rate Giroud. Their midfield looks really, really imposing. But if something's going to derail them, I mean, could it be their vulnerability down the wings and their lack of goal scoring? I mean, would those be the two areas you would highlight?
2: I think just their openness. I mean, because their openness is intentional, <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's it's a high. It is certainly a high wire act. I think I probably, I'm probably higher a Murata than you are. Um, sort of statistically, he's he's pretty solid. Uh, he had a somewhat of a bad year last year, but like you know his 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 goal scoring numbers weren't great but his expected goal scoring numbers were fine so that's the kind of thing you'd expect him to bounce back from mm-hmm. and certainly the hierarchy there seems to to trust in him you know they elected to to make him a starter or to keep him as a starter while um, you know Mishy Baswai went to Valencia Tammy Abraham hasn't really gotten any spin so you know the 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 club seems to to believe and Sarri seems to believe that Morata is, is fine up front i think the the part of the openness though comes from just how lopsided their fullbacks are right right Cesar aspel is a very good defensive player but he's not really mobile enough to command a whole wing and be both an attacking contributor and a defender and you know on the other side marcus alonso is a phenomenal attacker but is certainly
1: vulnerable defensively yeah we saw that we exploited that right. big time uh, in our game yeah
2: Right, and and what I mean, the typical Sari system is balanced. It expects both fullbacks to to contribute in the same way. This Chelsea setup isn't going to be able to do that. So it is an open question as to how they're going to adjust to that.
1: Yeah, I I think that those are all very fair points. You know, it's it's really hard for me because, you know, I, I look at this and I see flawed teams, and so I say we can surely get ahead of two of these three flawed teams, except we are also a phenomenally flawed team uh, in our own right. I mean, handicapping it from the outside, if you had to set a percentage chance that Arsenal do make up the ground and get back into the top four, uh, which, which two do you see us jumping over of those three and what, what percentage would you put the likelihood at?
2: So I, I think we
1: should be, Oh, you're I'm sorry. You careful. already said United and Spurs. So I apologize. United for
2: and Spurs. I, but I think we should be careful when we're talking about um, percentage chance. That there's a difference between what's the percentage chance of Arsenal finishing fourth, and what's the percentage chance that coming down the stretch you're going to feel like you have uh, a sweat,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, good point.
2: Because you know, being within two points, three points of fourth in the last month of the season, I think is is incredibly doable. Like, I don't, I don't think you're necessarily going to see a rerun of last year where it never felt like the team was in the race to begin with. Um, that said, I think probably, you know, 538 has, has Arsenal around 34% to make the top four, um, which is better than United. Um, I'll take take
1: a one in three shot. Why not?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that that's, that's probably fairly accurate that that seems sort of instinctively about right to me. Um, but I, yeah, but I, but I think that. Almost more important is this idea of I would expect it to feel like Arsenal is in the race for most of the season, and and that's that's a better place to be than last year.
1: Great, I'll take it. I'll take it. So so let's talk individual players for a minute, and I want I want to uh, focus on one player just really quickly. It's a player that I uh, have admired from afar, who didn't wind up at Arsenal, and and I was disappointed about that, and that's Naby Keita. Um, how impressed have you been with him at Liverpool, but also? For Arsenal fans that have been sort of lamenting some of the failures of our midfield over the years, is he the kind of player who was exactly what we were crying out for? Or maybe something a little different.
2: He's been wonderful. He's—I mean—he's a superstar level player.
1: He's how how li- did Liverpool get him? Uh, that that's sort sort—I'm of, mean, not—not to denigrate Liverpool, but I mean, it, it sort of surprised me that there weren't even bigger clubs and bigger fees at play here.
2: Well, so it was a weird situation, right? They were willing to both pay a lot of money and pay a lot of money a year in advance. Yeah, that's true. um, Which was – it's a fairly non-standard way to go about things and I'm not sure that many other clubs were looking at doing that. Um, So everybody sort of – I think everybody kind of ended up winning in terms – who was involved in that deal, in that deal, uh, both teams and Keda himself. Um, He's playing a slightly different role for Liverpool. He's somewhat more advanced um, but uh, excellent um he's so good specifically at bringing the ball from the midfield into the final third both at his feet and passing and and really it is it is a skill that arsenal have have lacked since santi cazorla got hurt which is th- this one player who can do the full range of things to move the ball forward um
1: i mean we've been relying on shaka to do it with his passing. I mean, he. I think he's up there for final third entry passes in the Premier right. League, but he obviously cannot carry the ball and, and presents huge defensive liabilities and lacks range.
2: That's right. And, and, you know, Aaron Ramsey does some things off the ball that really facilitate moving it forward. Um, but nobody on Arsenal has the whole package like Keita does. I mean, very few players in the world have the whole package like Kata does, while also contributing defensively. Um, I'm not sure if if, if he was like exactly the fit that maybe Arsenal needed but when a player is that good that becomes less important right like Kida is of the level that you just sort of make it work if you can get him and and he's been a great fit at, at Arsenal just an absolutely perfect fit for that I, I mean at uh, Liverpool.
1: Liverpool yeah I mean obviously we're kind of hoping that Torreira can handle some of the defensive responsibilities I don't think he's going to Necessarily carry the ball into the final third the way Kata can, but in his very very limited uh, cameos for Arsenal so far, I've been really impressed. Have you had a chance to see him at Arsenal? Uh, how much did you know about him before? Is is he a player we should be really excited for?
2: So uh, I mean, knew about him as a prospect, um, and I've seen I, I've watched him play at Arsenal. Watched him play a little bit before he came, but the the sort of the profile of him is that he's a very good defensive midfielder and a fine um volume passer he's he's good at maintaining possession of the ball but he, he's not a prog- uh, particularly progressive passer he's not somebody who has a history of moving the ball forward and up the field um that's not necessarily a problem you can fit that into systems that work uh you can envision him being a good sort of complementary pairing
1: for Jaka in that way uh i, I let me ask it like this yeah. um can he magically fix everything wrong with our club? Because that's kind of what we're hoping for. So is that realistic? Just magically fix everything? <laughs> I mean, obviously. Does, do the radars uh, show that? Yeah. Okay. Good.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean,
1: look. Um,
2: part of the major challenge of Arsenal right now is this is a collection of a lot of good, but not necessarily well rounded pieces, and and so putting that jigsaw puzzle together is 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 a challenge. Um, and uh, Torreira, I think, fits that. Uh, that mold. I think it would be a mistake to look at the things that he does and the things that he doesn't do and say, well, if you give him a chance, maybe he'll also magically do the things that he doesn't do. Like, that's not how I would approach it. How I'd approach it is, okay, let's look at what Torreira is really good at. And let's look at how we can sort of build a cohesive unit that takes advantage of his skills and mitigates his weaknesses.
1: Okay, so let's dive into that then um, and, and transition to Arsenal now. Because So I have been really impressed with Torreira in his cameos and actually impressed with some of his progressive passing, some of his final third passing. Uh, He set up Lacazette for uh, his winner uh, against Cardiff, which was great. But, uh, you know, presuming that he will be a little more defensively oriented and that those are not the strongest parts of his game building a well-rounded midfield in Emory's pressing system is something that I think is going to be perpetually challenging. And Emory has opted for Shaka and Ganduzzi from the start. I'm curious to get your, your take on two things. One, sort of your general sense of why he's done that and whether it makes sense. And then the other, which is really the existential crisis uh, of the moment at Arsenal. Can Ramsey and Ozil play together? Should Ramsey and Ozil play together? Should Ramsey get the kind of extortionate contract Ozil got? I mean, these are all big questions, but... Um, you know, I guess first with the Genduzi shaka pairing and then how you fit Ramsey and Ozil into this side.
2: Yeah, so for starters, I'm not really sure why Genduzi is starting,
1: it's, which is not to say that he shouldn't be. I will I mean, tell you Arsenal loves him. But, I mean, the Arsenal fans love him. But are, do we love him because he's new? I mean, he won our, our Player of the Month. Um, it always seems to be a new signing who does that. Uh, do we love him because he's new or do we love him because he's been good? Well, look, there's a lot of things that he visibly does well, Right.
2: You know, he, he wants to be on the ball. He plays the ball a lot. He's good at dribbling people. He's good at picking passes and playing passes. Um, this, you know, for a 19-year-old, that's not unusual for a midfielder with a lot of potential. That the, the obvious things, the things that catch your eye, are the things that come first. I'm not sure that he's particularly good defensively at all yet. Um, despite the fact that he sort of had a lot of counting stats early on. You know, he made a lot of tackles. He made a lot of interceptions. You know, part of that's because you're playing against Manchester City and Chelsea, who have the ball a ton.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by I, the way, in the preseason game against Chelsea, uh, he and Chaco were bypassed badly in the first part of that game. And, you know, I, I think we've still continued to see some of that uh, as the season has started.
2: Right. And now look, I, I mean, I think... It's one thing for that to happen against Chelsea and City. It's another thing if we go two, three months into the season and all of a sudden it's happening against Newcastle, right? Um, but I think I think Ganduzi is more of a mixed bag than, than, than an utter success story, which, again, he's 19. Like, being a mixed bag at 19 is nothing to be ashamed of and is not to take away from his potential to be a really strong player for many years. We just – he does still need to do a bunch of development. So does that mean he shouldn't be starting now? It's an open question. I can understand – like instinctively to me, playing Xhaka, who is a good passer, but very limited defensively, with Torreira, who is a very good defensive player and is an okay passer, just seems to
1: make sense as the base
2: of a midfield
1: it certainly Um, seems balanced right i mean it it seems to provide balance i guess you could make an argument that at home against weaker teams you may not need that defensive shield but you know doing it against manchester city and chelsea that that seems a little odd
2: that's that's my instinct now now i think you could see that pairing get some run and then understand that hey maybe it doesn't work for whatever reasons but i'm surprised that we haven't seen the two of them play together more and then the question becomes
1: what do you do around them? You know sure does <laughs> so so please fix it. I mean, Ramsey and Ozil are arguably two of the most important pieces at the club right now because Ozil is on a contract the likes of which even Real Madrid doesn't frequently hand out, and Ramsey is is you know trying to position himself for something similar. so is there a way to make the most of those pieces? Yes. Oh, good. Um, oh, that's good news.
2: But, but I, I mean, I, I, I <laughs> can honestly you tell us? think that the, what, the way, what, what Arsenal should be doing is looking to win games, you know, 3-2, 4-1, wide-open matches.
1: Well, that's literally um, what we've done the last two games, so we're doing it right, I guess.
2: Yeah, well, on the other hand, you you would hope that that wouldn't be the case against Cardiff, right? Like, hey, we'll take but, what we can get, man. <laughs> right. Um, but, look, I mean, Ozil... You know, I, I know that, that there's lots of Ozil detractors. He is a phenomenal passer, both moving the ball up the field and in the final third. He does stuff, at, you know, on par with anybody in the world. Um, he's not a defensive presence, and the question is, how do you sort of carry that lack of defensive presence? And the easiest answer is in front of a, a sort of a defensively strong pairing in midfield, or at least a defensively competent pairing in midfield, than with two wingers around him. Um, which, of course, doesn't really leave room for Ramsey. Ramsey can play uh, on the outside, but it's not his strength, right? Ramsey is excellent at moving without the ball from midfield forward and creating havoc, uh, both for himself and, and for his teammates. But that's sort of destabilizing, right? It sort of means that where he's moving from is wide open and he's not particularly concerned with making sure he's balanced positionally to prevent counterattacks. Um, and so you put him and Ozil and Jaka on the field at the same time, and boy, you're, you're really running uh, defensive risks. And, and I don't think there's any way to avoid that. I mean, you can do that against weaker teams um, sometimes, but collectively, what you have is this collection of parts that you need to pick and choose from on a game-to-game basis. That's a high degree of difficulty for a team to to sort of carry through the course of a season. Um, and when it comes to Ramsey's contract, I'm not sure, given his age and given his skill set, that it justifies a mammoth deal.
1: I mean, you you already have to question, right, the, the money we've handed out to aging players. I mean, the balance of the squad, you have Ozil on a huge contract. We signed Aubameyang, you know, pushing 30, Mkhitaryan swapped for Alexis. I mean, th- this is not a young side by any stretch of the imagination. kashelny you know, may be totally done. Petr check is still starting in goal. Uh, we, we, we signed Licksteiner at 36 years old, 34, whatever he is. So, I mean, uh, y- you know, if we sign Ramsey to a mega deal, it's not that he won't necessarily be good, but he will have no resale value at the end of his deal. I mean, do you look at Arsenal right now and worry that if this group doesn't get back in the top four soon, that trying to rebuild it with no resale value for the major pieces could lead to a sort of catastrophic period of mediocrity? Not not to get too dark here, but...
2: I mean, I think think the current construction of the club right now, sort of age-wise, is a right-now construction right that this collection of players is going to be better this year than next year and better next year than two years from now um they're all sort of right at the end of their primes kind of at the same time and ramsey fits that mold right he's 27 so you you give him a big contract now you're paying him you're going to be paying him a lot of money when he's worse than he is right now um and and that's that's really risky and so, yeah, there's a lot of, of sort of squad management that, that Arsenal need to be doing and looking towards doing. Now, what that looks like depends on on a lot of things. It depends on, on what their revenue is, how much they're willing to spend. Um, can they move some of these players on? Do they have to move them on for transfer fees in order to sort of replenish the side? Um, you know, and... Like, like I, I don't want to get carried away. There is plenty of there is young talent here, right? We just talked about Ganduzi. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean,
1: Torreira and Ganduzi could be each fifty million pound players, you know, two three years from now, and that makes everything look a little better.
2: That's right. And and you know, for for all the ups and downs, Hector Bellerin is young and very talented. Um,
1: yeah, and pieces. that's it.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. I mean, well, Lac- I mean, Lac- Lacazette is slightly younger. You expect him to have slightly more time than say, you know, Obamayan. But yeah, I mean. It's a, it's a concern. It's definitely a concern, and I think that this Arsenal needs to be prepared that two years from now, the, the, the team they're running out there has to look pretty different from what it looks like right
1: now. So, so let me ask you this if you're Emery, and, and I want to get a quick thought from you, and, and I want to be respectful of your time so we won't go on too much longer, but I want to get a quick thought from you on, on what you make of Emery so far and how he's approached it, but if you're handed a team that has Lacazette and Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan and Ozil and Ramsey, you see where the strength of your side is. And you say I've got a lot of attacking talent, but I don't necessarily have the right squad construction for the pressing game I'm used to playing, but they're all in their prime and it's a win now squad. How dogmatic should he be about adhering to the philosophy, the footballing philosophy he believes in versus having the flexibility to take the players he's got and construct a win now team? I mean, what what should his approach be, you know, if you were advising him? So a couple things
2: there. One is that I'm not—I'm still not entirely sure that his reputation for being dogmatically defensive is right. Um, it is definitely the popular sort of belief about him. Um, but if you look back through his his career, it seems to me that he is somewhat uh, adaptable, and that. The reputation comes from sort of being necessarily defensive at Sevilla in, in particular, um, and and clearly he should be adaptable with the squad and he
1: should lean into this attacking talent. Um, so you, my, you you would start Lacazette and Aubameyang together? I mean that's been another big debate.
2: Um, I can t- again I can see arguments for. I mean I think the the argument here is is Mkhitaryan or Lacazette it, fundamentally. Um, and I can see arguments for both, and I think it would depend on the opponent. Mkhitaryan is a very good creative passer in the final third. Lacazette is a very good scorer in the final third, um, where everybody does all of their scoring anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <fair> but, <laughs> um, but so I do think it's a little bit of a, of a, of a mix-and-match scenario. But yeah, I mean, I think Lacazette should get more playing time than he does fundamentally. Um, and I, I, I don't think that uh, Emery is unaware of that from watching this team. My concern with Emery is I wonder if he can calibrate sort of the middle path. I think we've seen Arsenal both be very attacking and open under him and then very closed and conservative. A- and we haven't seen a tremendous amount in between the two. And I look back over his career, and I think you can look at a lot of his career through that lens – where, you know, he has seasons at Sevilla where they're a very good team, but also they, like, don't win at all on the road. And he just, every away match he approaches incredibly defensively. Um, you know, you look at the same sort of stuff at, at, at PSG where you look at, say, their meltdown against Barcelona and when he was there. And it was like, well, this team was, was a swashbuckling attacking team. And then they went out
1: to sort of manage a lead for 90 minutes. It kind of reminds that. me of what we did the second half at Chelsea. I mean, that's, it, right. that, that's what scared me is I saw a little, little bit of shades of that.
2: And then, you know, the the flip side of that is you can look at when Sevilla beat Liverpool in the finals of the Europa League and you see a team that came out very conservatively in the first half and then opened it way up in the second half. So I've seen a lot from Emery over the course of his career of being flexible in that he can both play attacking and defensive. What I am concerned about and what I'm sort of looking forward to watching Arsenal closely about in, in the coming weeks is can he modulate between those two extremes, and is he trying to modulate between those two extremes, or is he does he conceive of his tactics as just flipping a switch between one and the other? Because if that's what it is, if if the really the way he conceives of putting these teams together is flipping that switch, I'm not sure that's going to work. Um, that would concern me, mm-hmm. and so that that's sort of what I'm looking at right now with him.
1: All right. Well, I, I guess I, I'll finish with this. Then, you know, you work for one of the premier analytics uh, football analytics companies in the world, and StatsBomb. Uh, if I read the sort of Twitter press release correctly, I think uh, StatsBomb is working with PSG now, which is great. And congratulations to your team for that. Okay. Um, you know, Stats DNA is a part of the Arsenal setup, and. You know, it is It is probably difficult to know how much influence they have had over some of the decisions we have made in the transfer market and the contracts we have handed out. Um, we've let a lot of players get into the final year of their deal. We were able to sell someone like Ox, for example, to Liverpool for good money. Uh, in other cases, we had to make swap deals or sign contracts like Ozil's, which I think are questionable not because of the talent of the player, but because of the money that we gave him. Um you know for a manager that was tbd and wound up being emery so what are the challenges for an analytics company a stats company in terms of trying to get the attention of the club okay they employ you they obviously want your feedback but how hard is it to really affect strategy and implement a, a cohesive strategy according to the data that you have and and based on what you've seen at arsenal do you think stats dna has been able to achieve that or would you suggest that maybe they've struggled
2: so yeah, there's 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 a lot there. Look, working inside a club and doing this kind of stuff is difficult. It's difficult for um, it's difficult for departments that are sort of well accepted within a club, right? Mm-hmm. Like scouting is hard. Uh you, there are lots of competing interests. You know, sports sports teams in any sport really, they're big organizations with lots of moving parts and lots of input and. Being a cohesive, well-run organization is difficult. Uh, that's, you know, compounded when you're, an anal- you know, when you're sort of working in analytics, and lots of traditional people in power structures are, I don't know, if comfortable is the right word. It's, it's not instinctive to them.
1: Would you say you that know, bringing in a guy like Sven Mislintat is is a hostile move to an analytics company or someone that maybe was brought in specifically because he is more comfortable with those kinds of uh, data points and, and working with groups like that?
2: You know, it's hard to say from the outside. But I think in general, Arsenal has, on the one hand, sort of shown that they're open to these ideas, right? Like Arsene Wenger was very famous for dropping expected goals <laughs> yeah, references.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that was a great day. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, At the same time, like, Arsene Wenger ran that club and, you know, transfers ran through him, contracts ran through him. And and so you can have all the input you want from people who I know, at least by reputation, to be very talented people. And if the guy at the top decides, okay, yes, I hear all that, but here's what I'm going to do instead, you can't – I mean – you can be as talented as you want in the world if you're not making the decisions, you're not making decisions. And again, we're talking about a field here where there's tremendous amounts of uncertainty, right? Right. Like, uh, you know, lots of good analytics are going to miss on lots of players. Lots of good scouts are going to miss on lots of players. So figuring out what good looks like itself is, is a difficult is a difficult task. What, what I'd say about Arsenal in general is... There is clearly a desire to do things intelligently. Um, well, that's you know, a relief. Our, yeah. Well, I mean, look. I mean, you don't go out and bring in a, like your your own bespoke analytics company to work entirely in house. And, and you know, and StatsDNA was doing very good work, sort of in, you know, in the more sort of general consulting sphere before they were brought in house, and then, you know. Part of being brought in-house means nobody has any idea what you've done since then because it's arsenals. Right, it's completely Um, opaque, Mm -hmm. But, you know, translating good work into good... uh, Practice. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. You know, seeing seeing end product on the field um, from any kind of good work is a long, tricky, arduous process that can be very, very hard to unpack. Um, So... Look, I mean, I think that there's lots of things to be concerned about with Arsenal squad right now. We talked about age. It is a tricky talent mix. At the same time, you look at... They clearly identified this summer the problems that they had and went out and tried to solve those problems. They didn't necessarily, you know, especially look at the defensive line, solve them in the ways I would have advocated solving them. But, you know, when I I look at bringing in defenders, bringing in a defensive midfielder, um, going out and getting Yang after Sanchez left, you know, a recognition that we need somebody who's very, very good right now to replace what Sanchez does. All of those things are the kinds of things that I look at being familiar with analytics and say, yep, those are the kinds of problems I have identified as well. Um, But it's very hard to, you know, when I then look at it and say, well, okay, maybe they didn't solve them exactly how I would have solved them. It's very hard for me to say from the outside, oh, they did that wrong as opposed to, oh yeah, they tried to do that right. But sometimes you got to make the best of a bad sort of situation. And these were the players we could get. So it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to say anything definitive other than, you know, by reputation, I know the analytics people are quite well thought of. And it's just, how does that translate to on the field is just a very tricky process.
1: No, I'd say that's encouraging. And look, I mean, you know, I don't know that you need a mega computer and a bunch of quants to, say, sign everyone who used to play for Dortmund. But, right. you know, the Torreira signing and the Ganduzi signing deserve credit. And certainly, I mean, a little bit diamond in the rough type signings there that we, that we like to see. So I think there's reasons to be encouraged. I'm going to put you on the record right now before we say goodbye. Arsenal will finish top four or not?
2: I'm going to say fifth. Well, shit.
1: <laughs> we were doing so well. In any event, um, first of all, you got to go check out the Double Pivot podcast. Mike is one of the co hosts uh, with another guy named Mike. So it's one of them. Not sure which, but it's one of them. So definitely go there. <laughs> definitely follow him on Twitter uh, at the M underscore L underscore G. I think I got that right. The M underscore L underscore G. He is the managing editor at Stats Bomb, uh and uh, generally very. Uh, considerate guy for coming on and taking some of his time to talk to us about the neutral perspective of our uh, arsenal and the premier league. Mike really enjoyed it and hope to talk to you again soon in the future. Yeah. Thanks very much. I had a great time. Okay. We're going to take a break, tell you about our favorite craft beer delivery service, and then we'll be back with Tim and Clive after this. How would you like a free case of craft beer? That's right. Free a free case of craft beer well that's exactly what you're going to get from beer52.com and all you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash vision that's beer the number 52.com forward slash vision to claim your free case All you do is pay £2.95 postage, and you're going to get eight incredible craft beers, Ferment Magazine, and a snack, delivered with free next-day shipping. It's a no-brainer. Beer 52 has a five-star rating on Trustpilot. They are the world's most popular craft beer delivery service. And right now, you are going to get to discover fantastic beers from the winners of the Raise the Bar competition. Beer 52 search for the UK's best new small brewing in partnership with London's Craft Beer Festival. So, you sign up, beer52.com forward slash vision, you get a free case of craft beer. And the beer you're going to get are the likes of Unity's 7% Export Stout, Boxcars, Belgian IPA, and West by Three's Mothership Wit Passion Fruit. What are you waiting for? Get a free case of craft beer. You can cancel anytime. There's no commitment. This is your chance to try it out. It is only for the UK. So those of us uh, who are not in the UK are desperately sad. We have huge FOMO on this one. uh, So we hope you are taking advantage of it if you are in the UK Beer52.com, the world's leading craft beer discovery service. Just go to beer, the number 52.com forward slash vision, and claim your free case today. All right, we're back. Enough of that neutral nonsense. We're here with the people that are really partisan. The first one is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Need to do two things. First of all, uh, we need to talk to Tim, maybe an intervention. Tim, I think it's fair to say that your brand is that you never miss an Arsenal game. <laughs> and it comes to my attention that you will not be at Newcastle this weekend. Um, yeah. This is this is a monumental occasion. Do you have anything to say? Do you want to get a, an apology on record at this point? Um
3: yeah, yeah it's it, it feels a bit weird um so yeah I'm gonna miss my first well we're talking domestically I haven't done every European away game in this time but my first domestic game missed since the 20th of January 2002 because uh, so two of my best friends are getting years. married okay
1: so, so I mean just <laughs> I don't I don't know all of the sort of rules of propriety and um, uh i'm not I'm not really up on all of this when it comes to to English football but can we officially call you a plastic or not yet?
3: <laughs> Too soon? Well, in a couple of years, um, all of the games that we played in like Hong Kong and New York anyway, so um, probably best to get it out of the way now.
1: Well, it makes feel better. I won't go to those either. Um, <clears throat> okay, so let's do this. The first thing I want to do is just set the table. We've obviously spoken to Mike already and gotten the neutral perspective. I'm not sure why anybody wants it, but I thought it was well delivered. Um, I want to get your take after the first month on what you've made of Emery so far. So let's start with this, Clive. I want you to pick one thing
4: that Emery has done so far that
1: has really surprised you, that you weren't expecting
4: going into the season. Oh, surprise me. I, you know what? I didn't expect him to be so focused on playing out from the back. I, I didn't see that coming. I thought he would come in and play a, a formation that suits the players. People were saying four two three one. I was thinking maybe four three three. Okay, fifty fifty. He seems to be settling on four two three one or a version of four 2 triple 2, two, right? So we don't know yet, right? But I didn't inspect him expecting to be so goalkeeper focused. I didn't think after a few weeks. We'd all be wondering about Peter Cech and his play and how he's had to change his game at 36. I I just didn't see that coming. So that, for me, would be the number one thing on the football side has been the surprise.
1: Okay, yeah, I think that's fair, which also leads to another one you could add, which is if he was going to be that focused, you sure as hell wouldn't have bet on him sticking with Cech rather than Leno. Um, so I think those two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Tim, for yeah. you... Um, what has surprised you something you you just Mm. did not see coming
3: um yeah i would have said the goalkeeper um i think if you spend that much money on a goalkeeper who's um very experienced and come with some pedigree um it's it's a little bit of a surprise you know he's not a kid um so i I was really surprised by that um i'm not i'm not sure anything's hugely surprised I I don't think anything's hugely surprised me. That's because you have incredible prescience, obviously. (laughs) Because everything surprised me. Because I I don't really know, I didn't really know that much about Emery. I don't watch La Liga, so I had no idea what his Sevilla team was like. Um, I didn't really watch PSG. Uh, much so i didn't really know what his psg team was like and even even if i had i'm not sure that you get a manager's personality with that psg team because of the very unique circumstances both in terms of how much stronger they are than everyone you know it's trying to it's like trying to build up an impression of celtics manager um it's just it's it's useless really and he had the politics there which were incredibly unique so even if i was a, a studded um uh, a student of Paris Saint-Germain I don't think I'd have built up a great idea of him there anyway so I, I think pretty much everything surprised me except um you know he he obviously referenced pretty much from the off that he wanted the team to work harder he wanted them to run more he wanted them to press a bit more and that's happened a bit more not you know not loads we haven't turned into Klopp's Liverpool um or Pochettino's Spurs overnight and i I'd, I'd didn't think we were going to but I I don't think it's a really what I'd call a rabid high press it's a bit more than perhaps what we used to do but um so so that was one thing I was looking for as for the rest of it I, I really didn't have a clue um to be honest and that's been reflected in you know we've discussed the starting 11s there always seems to be there always seems to be a surprise because he doesn't really know his players yet and we don't know him so um, it, it may be a bit of a cop out of an answer, but All right, well, nearly everything surprised me.
1: Well, then let me give you a follow up just real quick. And you can answer this with one word. So far, which one do you stand by more? The Emory podcast one or the Emory podcast two? <laughs> or, or are you well, not on them? <laughs> 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 if you remember when we did the Emery the the Emery introduction podcast, we had the initial mm. reaction that went over like a lead balloon, and then, yes, and then we did yeah, our yeah, apology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you stand by the I'm, second I'm, one still?
3: <laughs> so, I'm somewhere in between. I, to be honest, and obviously Uh-oh. the jury's still out. The the jury's still out, and all of that. And and I'm not saying I'm not giving the guy a chance, and blah blah blah. To like to be honest, I I think he's probably you know not an elite manager in the sense that, well, obviously not Guardiola. I think Guardiola is, is a level above pretty much everybody, but you know, I'm not sure he's in that absolute elite bracket, but that's kind of where Arsenal are um, at the moment. And I, I'm still kind of sticking by my initial impression that um, Emery, if things go to plan, Emery might be a stepping stone. I get us back in the Champions League by hook or by crook, and then and then we go, and then perhaps you know we look for. I, I think if we'd finished fourth last season, I think they'd have gone with Arteta. Um, I really do, but I think they kind of chickened out of it at the last minute because they thought, no, do you know what we need? We need a bit more of a sure thing. We need to get back in the top four. I think if if we'd you know finished in the top four last season we might have gone a bit harder for a younger coach like an Eaglesman like an Arteta um, but they needed a slightly safer pair of hands so I still get the impression that Emery may be um, a bit of a transition manager which which is no bad thing Um, but yeah I'm I I hope I'm wrong but like this isn't a criticism anyway but I, I, I I get the impression that we're in a bit of a place where we don't want to be at the moment and his job is to get us out and after that it might be a case of thanks very much. You know, not quite a Bruce Riok, but something not far away.
1: You know, we did an entire podcast to walk back from this kind of reaction, Tim. <laughs> You're walking us <laughs> right back into it, man. I'm um, Eastilberto on Twitter. Come come on back in, Clive. Save us. Help yeah, us.
4: <laughs> well, well, I think um, I, obviously we know a little bit more than we did when he was appointed about the state of the club, right? So – and the state of change in the club and the amount of people that have changed in the backroom staff. Almost everything – has changed. So you've gone from a culture where we were called a crash, where there was something called certainty of every single person you saw in the corridors had been there 10 plus years almost. That's what it felt like. Everyone had been there like lifers. Now you have a lack of certainty because all the people have changed. So all the people that do the key jobs in the back room that make the environment feel comfortable. They've gone, right? So, and I think to then put a young manager that's got minimal experience into that environment, into that changing environment, would have been suicidal we need a very strong dominant character that's completely sure of himself that people will follow and you only follow people with with really strong experience or really strong characters and I think Emery's got that I think he's a perfect manager for this phase of Arsenal and I do think he is a Every manager from now on will be a stepping stone. I don't think we have to get our brains wrapped around that. Every manager will be a three to four-year stepping stone because that's the way it rolls now. You can only survive in this level of, of job for three years. You take a year off and you come back in again. If he goes to four, that means he's done really well. right? So, And we've got to get comfortable with that and get used to it. So I think he's perfect for what we need right now in the changing arsenal. It's too early to judge the football side. But I'm quite pleased with the strength of character that he's showing to manage this change. And by the way, do you remember that team we were talking about with the backroom staff, with Ms. Lintat and Ivan and Raul? Oops, yeah. And, mm-hmm. Raul, and we were all talking about, you know, it's a team of people. Well, all of a sudden, I can't hear anything from anybody else because Edith has gone quiet for his own reasons. And it's all about the manager again. And I think it's, that disappoints me slightly that I haven't seen or heard more from some of those people and created a bit more people depth, which you often hear me speak about at Arsenal. So it's gone very quiet, and now we're talking about the coach, the players, how they train, and what they're doing. And I I was hopeful for a little bit more depth within the club. I
1: I agree. I would just say, to be fair, once the season starts, you know, the, the focus and the attention is on the football and what's happening on the pitch, and I just don't know how much a Raul, or a Sven, or an Ivan, and obviously Ivan's a unique situation for reasons we're all aware of, uh, yep. would influence what's happening right now. I, I think for me the biggest surprise with Emery, if I had to pick one, which I'm going to because I'm giving myself the chance, uh, is the slowness with which he's integrated Lucas Torreira. I don't totally understand it. I mean, it could have been to ease him back after the World Cup and that he didn't have a full preseason, but... Seeing the balance we've had when he's in there, and and I'm not saying he's the finished article, and I'm not saying it's been perfect, but I'm somewhat surprised that Genduzi or Shaka didn't step aside to let Torreira come in and start games. So you know we'll see if that changes. Obviously, you know he's he's picking lineups right now by the seat of his pants a little bit because he's still trying to learn from his team, and the team is still trying to learn from him. Let let's do this. Let's let's get back to positives for a second. And Clive, what is something that has changed under Emery? or that we're doing under Emery that you feel is significantly different from what we were doing under Arsene and
4: that you've really enjoyed seeing? Well, the running, I like hard-working teams, that's one thing. Um, I'm not overly obsessed to say that we are this pressing team, much like Tim alluded to earlier. I just think we're working harder uh, for longer periods. And I think that makes us a little bit more competitive. Even in the games that we lost, I felt there was a competitive edge to us. And that pleased me a little bit. Uh, we had some we had some patches where we just weren't quite organised. That's because we were trying to implement new new systems, a new way of playing, where, where the backline was being held. And we were developing new partnerships. So, so I can understand that. But even during games, we were fixing problems with halftime substitutions. So I quite like the fact that substitutions seem decisive at different times. I like the fact that we're... Working harder, developing new relationships. Yeah, I, I'm I'm positive to a point. I have got my own views on on the game and the, and the system I'd like to see. And so there's a little bit that says, little bit of me that says, "Come on, Clyde, be patient, be patient. That's the way to be. You've got to give a guy a chance." And then a little bit of me saying, "Well, hold on a minute here. We've got some key jewels out here. Why why like Torreira, like the two strikers? We've got some decisions to make in midfield." Come on, how much time are you going to take? and I'm not sure because I don't know the guy. I don't know his routine, I don't know his um his level of forgiveness for certain things. We know that you know with Benga, with he basically forgave everybody all of the time until until he feud. didn't like Chesney. yeah until yeah. he did and then they, and then they, they were gone, and so we're just not sure of his tolerance levels, and so uh, much like you know much like the players at the moment with all new people around them. There's a level of uncertainty within the fans, so I'm not going to leap in a direction, but I'm on the edge. I'm on the edge. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll try and to get I you off that
1: edge see. in the coming weeks. Um, another four four at Newcastle might do it. I mean, uh, <laughs> Tim, would you w- would you agree? I mean, are there is there something that stood out for mm-hmm. you that is very different from the Arsene Wenger experience that you prefer that you like?
3: Yeah. Just building on that, I I quite like the way that um i think politically that he's managing this team so we talked a little bit well i talked a little bit about him potentially being a transition manager and clive talked about the change behind the scenes and and that's all kind of happened um there's going to be a lot of change on the pitch as well and i you know personally i've been writing about this since about june some big heads are going to roll um because we have we have a lot of players in that attack and we can't play them all at the same time and it's all very well saying squad depths nice to have but a lot of those players aren't going to want to sit on the bench at a club like arsenal because most of them will say i i could at least move to the same level of club uh, and get game time and that's before you take in the whole kind of balance argument how do we balance all of these players because that's not easy either um there there are there are going to be some big heads that are going to roll um in that team yet yeah. And um, some supporters' feelings are going to get hurt because lots of people um, have got really, really invested in individuals over the years. So what I've quite liked is is almost a two-pronged approach from Emery. On one hand, yep, he's very quick to make a change, to make a substitution. I feel like in some respects he's giving an, some players enough rope to hang themselves with. Maybe he's doing that with check. Um, And I've kind of rethought the Czech situation over the last kind of couple of days because at first I was a bit flabbergasted by it. I thought, why why are you buying a 26-year-old goalkeeper with 300 appearances and Germany caps, you know, to ease him in? But um, I think Paul might have said this on the last podcast. The thing is, once you drop Czech, that's it. Like, he's 36. Once you drop him, you drop him. And, um, spurs He's gone did this from the squad then, isn't he, He's dead. yeah, that's, that's it. and that Spurs mean, did this when they bought um, <laughs> when they bought Hugo Lloris. they had Brad Friedel, who was about thirty six thirty seven and they kept Friedel in for you know about three quarters of a season because you know I think for the same reason, because if you put the young you know if you put Leno straight in and he doesn't quite do it. And then he gets dropped. Per check. You know, you you perhaps have a bit of a situation on your hands there. Whereas you put Check in, you keep him there until it becomes absolutely obvious he can't play anymore, and then put Leno in. And and actually, I've I've kind of rethought it and think that's fine. And then but it I, feels I, I, like I,
1: Leno's job too, right? Like he's not looking over his yeah. shoulder at that point because Check got his chance, exactly. lost a chance, and Leno knows it's his now.
3: Exactly, exactly. And and so I think it's been quite an interesting two pronged approach. In the on one hand. He's given players um, enough rope to hang themselves with Ozil as well. Um, He had a disagreement on the training ground with Ozil. Um, That is 100% true, by the way. Um, That did happen. Um, But, you know, I don't think that's a massive deal in and of itself. Um, He sat Ramsey down for the Chelsea game. And before that Chelsea game, he said, you know, I think Ramsey needs to focus on playing and forget about the contracts. You know, he's he's. Not butted heads, I think that's overstating it, but he's he's not been a respecter of reputation. He's been willing to make those calls. But at the same time, he hasn't been you know, he hasn't been needlessly confrontational. Urzel came straight back in against Cardiff, Ramsey came straight back in um, against West Ham. He's hooked players at half time who've then started the next game. It it feels like and I think this was absolutely necessary, pretty much every player has a blank slate to a degree. To a degree, but also Emery is making it very clear. This is how we're going to play, and you know, you either fit in or that's it. I'm I'm not afraid to hook you. I'm not afraid to leave you out. And so I think it's a that's a very very de- delicate, very very difficult situation um, to handle, and and particularly when you've just spent a year managing Neymar um, at PSG, which. Yeah which is, is quite, um, must have been a traumatic experience for him. Um, and so for him to kind of ma- manage this in quite a balanced way in terms of not ceding to the to the egos, but at the same time not just falling out with them for no reason, I, I think he's handled that quite well. I, I quite like the way he's gone about that.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would say the one thing with the Czech Leno thing we also have to remember too is, you know, this is what happens when you have a coach who is not the manager, who is not picking the transfer targets and, and making the transfers. And I'm not suggesting that he didn't want Leno, but that's not his signing specifically. So, you know, it, it is interesting when you inherit a team of players that aren't the players you chose, you're going to respond to them very differently than when you're your players. Think about this. Every single player at the club last season was someone Arsene Wenger selected, agreed to, bought, signed, Right? So those are his players, and he's going to have strong feelings about all of them. Emery comes in. There's not a single player at that club he cares about. I mean, he may like them. He may think they're talented, but he has no association or connection with them beyond the fact that they're at the club he now coaches. So he can approach them with a total blank slate, Um, and and that gives him a lot of freedom that you know some of the baggage Arsene probably had with some of those players prevented him from maybe making those same kind of decisions. And it has been... Enjoyable, I think, to see a manager react to the game uh, a little quicker. I think Arsene Banger had his reasons for making his substitutions when he did and in the manner that he did, and I certainly think you can justify them. But I do like that we've seen, you know, a halftime switch that we've seen changes and, early in the game. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah,
3: and and also uh, just quickly, uh, one of the first things he did, Wilshere. Uh, you know, you talk yeah. about a manager being a bit too close, maybe not being objective about a player. Let, let's have it right. Wilshere has been really average um, if I'm being kind for quite a while now and and really the Arsenal story should have ended for him a few years ago and yet there was still a contract on the table and I I don't think that that was based on football reasons Emery came in um, actually, I think that was probably a bit of an open goal for Emery because he probably looked at it and thought, yeah, this guy's not that good anymore. And, you know, that old like managerial trick of I'm going to fire someone in front of everyone so I have the authority. <laughs> yeah. Wilshere was maybe a bit of an open goal. It's like, right, he's not actually that good anymore, but he's a big figure at the club. I'm going to swing the axe, clean break, there we go, I'm the boss.
1: And it's easy to swing the axe when there's actually no contract. <laughs> the guy's out of contract in the exactly. summer, right? I mean, even, even better. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to go negotiate a fee or get him to agree to go somewhere. He's literally not under contract anymore. So, yeah, that that's actually well said. So let's – um, we just did positives. Let's swing back the other direction for a moment. Clive, what's a moment in the season or a decision in the season or something he's done so far, and I realize it's still early – um, but that kind of had you pulling your hair out. Maybe you're saying, nah, you, you may have gotten it wrong there.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, just one, I'll, please. I'll, just I'll, just I'll, the one. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you this. <laughs> I don't like the, um, I, I don't like the uh, Lacazette on the left thing. If I'm Sorry, a bang-bang on the left. I, I don't like that. I, I, it's time to stop that now. I think we're just not maximizing our players. And, and so I know he wants to play to a shape, but I can't see the – the benefit of keeping him 10 yards further left, bring him 10 yards in, and the whole team looks different. And so, change. Simple as that. It's obvious it's in front of you. I think uh, I don't want to get annoyed yet after four games and two against the top six from last season. I don't I don't want to hold on to it too much. I think um, the goalkeeper thing I get, I was watching Albania last night versus Scotland, and even they're using their goalkeeper. There seems to be a massive trend with trying to create overloads higher up the pitch by drawing people onto you. And so I maybe I didn't see that coming. Uh, from a football perspective, I don't think just Arsenal are trying to do this. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um, so that's 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 one thing that um, maybe we're going to get better out to go for the season. So yeah, I'm over that. The centre halves, I'm cool with that. Um, you know, it, it's been okay. I would just like to see us maximise our two forwards because I think there's a level higher we can go if we start outscoring teams and um, just to go on from what you talk about on the people side of things maybe this is what we have right now at Arsenal we we expected a super coach and we were told that we had a manager coming in who's who struggled with the dressing room at PSG when you struggle somewhere the first thing you do is you try to learn that lesson and maybe we've got a really strong people manager that's really taking the comfort away from the dressing room and he's managing the people. And again, I think he's got the character and the firmness and the assurance to actually do that. Let's
1: dig into that because I think that's a really interesting point. And by the way, you're living your best life watching Albania, Scotland on, on a on a Monday night or whatever. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. Um, you think Arsene Wenger never misses a game. Um, Tim, so to, to Clive's point about... You know, learning the lesson and coming in and and being a strong uh, people manager. Santi Cazorla gave a really interesting and, and open and wide-reaching uh, interview, recently talked about uh, some of the struggles he had with injury at Arsenal and I thought actually went a little easy on the club given some of the things he recounts. But he also says mm-hmm. that uh, he spoke to Emery before he took the job, told him about Arsenal, told him what the problems were, the things he had to change, mm-hmm. and that it was going to take time to change those things I'm curious, and I know you have absolutely no way of knowing this. This is pure <laughs> fan fiction now. Write the book the way you want. What would you guess were those things? Because he was asked and he said, no, I'm not going to tell you that's for secret. That's that's private. Mm. But what do you think those things were that Cazorla might have said, this is what you have to change at Arsenal?
3: I'd be staggered if the word or the Spanish translation of the phrase comfort zone um, didn't come into it. And I, I think, the whole club got into a comfort zone, which is quite weird because Arsenal looked like quite an uncomfortable environment, certainly in terms of the external pressure. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if he said this player, comfort zone, this player, comfort zone, this player needs to kick up the arse. Um, you know, Arson with maybe some elements of the club, got into a comfort zone, had a lot at his fingertips that um, perhaps he wasn't using in the way he could have been using. Um, So I I think that would be the main thing to come out. I also think, you know, we've heard whispers, haven't we, about the players were really, really, um, they were really kind of craving some level, a greater level of instruction, particularly when it comes to the opposition um, and I think you know Emery is kind of famous for that, isn't he? That
1: has be- you know, come close to just coming out and saying this, basically recently. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah precisely. I, th- I think there's probably a lot of them that are kind of, you know. Uh, so there are some players that have probably slipped into a comfort zone, and there are some players who don't want to slip into a comfort zone, and and are kind of saying, look, I, I need I need to be pushed here, and uh, both I need to be pushed, but also. Um, I need some of the stress taken off of me. I need a little bit more instruction. Football's becoming a bit more chess like at the elite level. Um so I, I wouldn't be surprised um if those things featured. As for the technical side, you know, who knows what he might have said about I don't know, data, player performance, fitness management. I think those those things we just really, really don't have any insight on. Um but yeah, when and when I say comfort zone I, I think definitely culturally, but I think individually, um, he'll he'll have probably seen some players and thought, "Yeah, you're 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 not putting it in."
1: Yeah, yeah and by the way, um, I think one thing we should bear in mind, you know, because I think maybe there was some of that with Mesodozo, but there's something people forget. Mesedozo wrote a book, and he talked about Jose Mourinho in the book, and we all hate Jose Mourinho, but he t- he tells anecdotes about how Mourinho would single him out. Push him, criticize him in front of the team, and how it was hard for him at the time, but it got the best out of him. Um, he seemed very self-aware of the fact that he needed that, and that he thrived under that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we all get worried. Oh, training ground bust up. Oh no, uh, our poor flower yep. Mesedozo. But Mesedozo himself has said that some of his best football at Real Madrid come uh, came under Jose Mourinho, who was very critical of him and pushed him. So, mm. you know, I don't think we have to worry about our little delicate flower. I think we have to worry about nope. getting the best out of him. And maybe that is what Emery is endeavoring to do now. So let's let's not be so scared. I mean, at the end of the day, the guy's making a lot of money. He's not going anywhere. So let's push him. Let's see what we can get. Uh, yeah. yeah. Go and, ahead, Tim. And, and
3: a, a, a bit of tension, is it, and that's probably one of the things that's you know, again, we're guessing evaporated into this comfort zone. You need a bit of tension. You don't want it to boil over. And I think maybe at the end of the Invincibles, it started to boil over a bit, and you have got some cliques developing and some things. You know, some some kind of disagreements, and and it maybe got a little bit toxic, a little bit quickly because they were all so competitive. But you need that tension um, in there as well. And and I I wouldn't be at all surprised if Emery, you know, talking about what you said, Elliot, there about Jose Mourinho. I wouldn't be surprised if Emery. Did pick on Urzil a bit in training and thought, you know, playing the long game, just thinking, yep, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you in front of everyone, and you're not going to like it, but maybe in three months' time you'll thank me for it. Yeah, I uh absolutely.
4: Yeah, go ahead, Clive. Yeah, it's, a, it's a management style thing isn't it it's just all that's all this is right and you get managers that come in and want to make people feel comfortable because they feel they get the best out of them in a relaxed environment and then it's almost cyclical you know it's like being at work right you get a strong manager come in and you're begging for a, a softer manager come in to allow you to be more creative then you think oh, actually the softer guy is making me get away too much maybe I need a little, I need a little bit more instruction it's just cyclical management styles right and some styles work for for people but i think what we've got to get used to at in at elite environments is that change should happen quicker and you often hear me talk about renewal if you look at any sort of high performance team model renewal happens at a certain period and what we didn't do at Arsenal, we did not renew the people we didn't renew the people and so when you get people stay that many people stay at a club for that long they want an environment that they like and they want to stay with people that they like and what they can't see are the measures of how you judge your success criterias are falling and the standards are not rising because you're not renewing the people you're not renewing the new ideas you're not developing the club based on new information and I think that's what happened at So we just became a little bit stale and comfortable and so this guy's coming but he hasn't come in on his own, there's mobs of people coming with him and i think that whole change is going to take many months to really solidify until people understand what good looks like what good looks like when they understand that and i'm talking about on your everyday behaviors how you behave how you how you work how you train how you do everything how you move your attitude how you spend your days off. Once people understand the new success criteria and everyone gets it, I think then we'll see a collective step up in standards and and then we'll move into the next phase which is January which I think is going to be the most interesting transfer window in Arsenal's recent history.
1: Absolutely. And I, and I want to get into um, our, our top four race now and just sort of are uh, a month into the season updating our our view on the top four race but we have to take a break to do something really important first and that is laugh at jose Mourinho tripping over a rope <laughs> oh man that was great that was great if you haven't seen it jose Mourinho tripped over a rope and it was brilliant okay um now that that's out of the way tim uh let's handicap the top four race for a minute so i, I think can we all agree we're going to put liverpool and city out of reach
3: over the hills and far away. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Okay, because I don't think we need to get into that. So i talked about this with Mike a bit, but I want to get you guys to give me your thoughts on it. United, Chelsea, Spurs. If we're going to overhaul two of them, Tim, who would they be and why?
3: So I think Spurs are gettable. Um, the reason Spurs are gettable is I, I don't think they've got a very big squad. They played Watford last week and they didn't make a substitution until they were 2-1 down with about 12 minutes to go. And then when you look on their bench, it's because they had three full-backs, a goalkeeper, a centre-half, a midfielder and Urente. Um That's not a particularly deep squad. And I know we've been saying this for a couple of seasons now, but that has to catch up with them um, at some point. That really has to catch up with them. Um, it's a shame so they weren't I,
1: allowed to sign anybody in the window. <laughs>
3: and the pro, uh, and, and this, this is what the, the problem they've got really in terms of trying to evolve their squad. Um, They've got such a set first 11 and in one respect they had a brilliant window because they kept it together again and I don't understand how they keep doing it. I don't understand how they keep having these seasons with these individuals and nobody seems to be flashing any money at them to buy them. It, it's, I, I can't wrap my head around it um, to be honest with you. I can't wrap my head around why nobody is banging on their door for Harry Kane. Mm.
4: No, um, the money's too big, Tim. That's why the prices are ridiculous. For yeah, got, I, I'm going to jump in and interrupt three. you both.
1: I think that out there in the analytics community, in the in the in the no community, the sense I get is that there is legitimate concern about the ankle injury he suffered and the reduction in his shots subsequently. And I think it yeah, may yeah. have scared some clubs away. But that again, I'm just totally projecting there. But I, I think there is a possibility that the big clubs took a pause this summer on Harry Kane and said. You know he's coming off an ankle injury. His shots have dropped dramatically, um, and and he's coming off a summer where he didn't have a break. And they may have said we need we need to see him do it again for another season.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, but yeah, the, the the problem they've got is they've got a really cool, quite set first eleven, and it's difficult for them, particularly at this time with the stadium, to buy players that improve on that because to buy players that improve on that costs the kind of money that they probably don't really have. Um, so anyway, uh, and listen, they're still a really good team. They're still really well drilled. They've been together for a few years. Um, I, I don't think um, hunger will be an issue. I don't think Pochettino will allow that. Um, and I think one of the reasons they've stayed together is they're happy playing together. So uh, while I think they're vulnerable, I don't, I don't think it's going to be easy by any means. But they're there. They're there to be got as far as I'm concerned. Who's the other one? I I still think Chelsea uh, and the reason uh, Man U are obviously vulnerable as well, but I think Man United will will be maybe a fairly comfortable third. I think people are overdoing this um, three-season thing in their heads about Jose Mourinho and that um, they think because it's his third season, it will absolutely follow the pattern because it's a pattern and you know um that's the end of it and well, I, we I don't are pattern seeking machines as, uh, yeah and but the thing is the the pattern doesn't hold anyway because the the whole jose Mourinho pattern is on the premise that his first and second seasons are any good which they haven't been at man u you know man u won what a europa league and a league cup uh, since he's been there for you know for united that's nothing that's not that's like That's like 5p on the floor. Do you think, like Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, you think they'd be happy with a Europa League and a League Cup in three years?
1: Absolutely not. They'd have sacked four managers. (laughs) Um,
3: Exactly. Exactly. So, for me, Man United are just going to do what they've done in each season under Mourinho, be really boring, really underwhelming, but they'll do plenty enough to stay in the top four because that's what well i know they finished six in his first season and won the europa league but i i think they'll do loosely the same thing and that this three season arc hasn't happened at man new because he hasn't had the good first and second season um so so i I, don't get me wrong I, i do think perhaps they're there to be got at but I still think they've got enough individual quality to to overcome that. Even though they've started well, I still think Chelsea. um, And again, not easy um, by any means. We we know they've won their first four games. I'm still not sure how convincing they've been. Maybe you could could flip that and say, well, they've not been that convincing and they've won four games. Um, I still think that they're relying on individuals quite a lot. Uh, particularly Hazard Um, and listen, Hazard's probably good enough. Yeah. If you're going to rely on an individual, it's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's probably good enough to take that burden. But I, I think the thing is with Chelsea, they're only ever a defeat or two away from, from, you know, you can start to pull a thread when that happens to them. Um, I, you know, they're still a very, they're a high functioning, but dysfunctional club. Um, and I seem to remember they started last season fairly well and then they lost at palace and then they kind of went not quite into free fall. They went as into free fall as a club of, of that level goes. And I, I still, I want to see their chin tested is what I'm saying. I want to see the we first had the chance to do result. it. If we had
1: gone toe to toe with them in the second half of that yeah. game, which is so frustrating, but
3: yeah. And know. that's, that for me is the disappointment of the season so far for us. That second half at Stamford Bridge. So, I I think I've I think fourth will be a three way fight between the three London clubs. I think United will be just about on a little island on their own in third.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what. If I and that raises the point. If if I had to pick my Emory disappointment of the season, you're spot on. Calling off the dogs at Stamford Bridge really annoyed me because um, there was no need to do it. But anyway, uh, Clive, for you, who are the two? that you could see us overhauling and getting into the top form why? Uh,
4: Spurs for me as well. Uh, I think Spurs are going to struggle fatigue-wise, and I think they're going to struggle fame-wise. I think they've become England's team, you know, from a, a young English player perspective. So extra, and,
1: extra scrutiny, you're saying, extra focus. Yeah, yeah
4: and, and people look at them, you know, people look at those players and they want their shirts, right? So when teams are playing against them, they are, they're quite famous young men now, and I think they're going to be challenged in a slightly different way. And I, and I don't see them having the creativity and the guile to be able to overcome some of these teams who can run with them and who are as big as them. And Watford showed exactly how to do it when they matched their running power and then matched them with desire and got them to play in areas where they didn't want to be. They had nowhere to go, and it wasn't it wasn't unlucky that defeat. There was no ooze at the end, right? So, I think Spurs are going to struggle. I think another reason why they've kept that team together is the new stadium. Everyone wants to be in a new stadium and they've waited for that new stadium. And many of those players are going to be disappointed and they're going to be challenged next summer. I don't know if you've noticed, you know, the contract signings have slowed down a little bit. You know, there isn't a new contract being signed every month like there was previously. So there are a few players that are holding out a little bit longer. So I think in the next 12 months, we're going to see a a distinct change to that squad. they do have is squad value they do have the ability to replenish and they seem to be doing very well on recruitment and they now have a brighter looking shiny club to attract people and they have champions league football so that does hurt a little bit but I think in the end their squad depth is going to cost them and I see them dropping out Um, I do see um, United as the other Um, I, I think what United don't have compared to Chelsea is a defined pattern of play you know we can we can all name the Chelsea team within one or two players and we sort of know where they stand we know what they do we know their system And we can see a pattern developing, and that's only going to get better. He's done that very quickly. He's brought in a spinal midfielder. He's got his individual, the individuals in the dual 10 position, and he's got his structural number nine, and he's got his run around eights. And you can see it there, and he's only going to improve on that, and the pattern is set. I see that type of team having the ability to accumulate points more easily than i would seen Manchester United. If I asked you to tell me who's going to play for Manchester United on the left wing, right wing, in centre midfield, what their system's going to be, if they're putting Ander Herrera at right centre half, then we've got a bit of a problem, right? I think the manager is so obsessed with trying to make decisions that are a little bit abstract. So he looks good in the recovery. I think his game has been rumbled. I think people are prepared for his plan A, plan B, plan C. And they are not falling for it anymore. If he parks the bus, people are picking him off. If he comes out of a strange formation, people are ready for him. And uh, and I I think his tricks have all been played and I'm looking at his players who also went fine to the World Cup I don't see any of the problems they had last year being resolved so I think United could struggle I think the light is shining on them the press is waiting for Rina to fail and funny enough if Arsenal can accumulate points in the background quietly and slowly I think the light will shine on those other teams allow us to creep up behind them so um, that's how I see it going
1: Yeah I I Agree with that. I, look, I'll tell you something. I think that Jose Mourinho's problem is that he just doesn't have very good defenders. Um, you know, I think he figured out a long time ago that at big clubs, your attacking players are so talented that you can park the bus and rely on them to figure something out. Score a wonder goal, pick something off, and, you know, that that's good enough. But he doesn't have the defenders to do it anymore. I, I'll disagree with you on this one thing, Tim. I mean, I've seen... Jose Mourinho teams totally throwing the towel on him. We saw it at Chelsea, right? What did they finish? Fourteenth, twelfth? Was it twelfth? Tenth? Tenth? All right. You know what? It's still terrible. Um, yeah. And you know, there's trouble brewing with Martial. I think you would say, uh, and Pogba certainly. I don't think Fred has been very good. I think that midfield, you know, doesn't work unless Pogba is at his best. So Alexis. Yeah. Well, and then I mean, well, the interesting thing about Alexis is he's still a high volume chance creator but he's no longer a high volume finisher and so it's all on Lukaku at that point especially because he doesn't seem to trust Rashford and Martial that much I don't know I I could see trouble brewing there for me I think it's Spurs and United but Chelsea are right in there for Chelsea it would have to come down to something like they just can't get the goals they need because I don't know that Murata and Giroud are are an elite strike force although Hazard mm. can make up the difference, so we'll see. Let's do this. Let's leave the top four race aside and finish the pod with just a really, really quick mini-preview of Newcastle. I know you don't care about the game enough to go to it, mm. Tim, <laughs> um, but and you're going to have your uh, video preview of the game up on Patreon this week, so I, I don't want to mm. steal too much of that. Just really, really quickly, your expectation, 30,000-foot view.
3: Um, I expect Newcastle not quite to play quite as conservatively as um, they have against like Man City last season in Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, but still fairly organized. I, I think maybe one thing that um, is perhaps going for Arsenal a little bit at the moment is that our defense is so bad. that Some of these teams feel like they can have a go at us um, and I don't blame them for thinking that, but actually, I mean, we're very top heavy. Our attack is very good. And if you give our attack a little bit of room, um, a lot, of, you know. We we can win these kind of knife fights. I'm not sure this one's going to turn into a knife fight, um, but I, I do think Newcastle will perhaps be a little bit more encouraged to take us on, being a relative term than they have been um, against some of the other bigger teams. So uh, I, I'm expecting it to be fairly tight and cagey, but I think Arsenal will win.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay, well that's nice to hear, Clive.
4: Uh, yeah, I think. What interests me, I know we spoke a little bit about Project 24, right, and um, that this eight-game run. But but actually, if I was the management, I would be thinking about the first four games, international break. Then you got a couple of weeks to sit down and talk. I think this game might tell us a lot about what he's learned. And I think we may see a slight tweak in things because he must have learned a lot he rotated he changed people around he chinned people you know with his people management side of things he benched people he hooked people he didn't start people he did all of this in four games he kept people in who he didn't expect to be in we haven't started um, our midfield superstar we all want to see and so he has had a good chance to learn in the first four games and he's got six points now we've got a game where he's had a rest he's had a chance to think and I wonder if he's going to start implementing the lessons into the next game that's what I'm looking for from the Newcastle side of things I agree every team's encouraged playing against us they look at our spaces and they want to come at us you heard me say that a million times but I think Newcastle are very vulnerable and they have their own issues there was a training ground issue with um, Lascelles and uh, um, I can't remember his name, and Richie Richie, was, was it Shelby or was it Richie, the le- little lefty, I can't remember one of the two, and they, they've been fighting at the training ground, and, and so they've got a few issues, Rafa, there's, there's demonstrations going on, and Rafa's in the middle of that as well, the fans love him, I don't sense a happy club at the moment, so um, I think if we were to do our thing, and put them under pressure, and watch the crowd turn on them, that could be interesting. But what you must never do, I've been to Newcastle many times, is never encourage that crowd because it will be a long day for you. If it you gets do. so, so uh, loud there if you
1: give them a reason yeah. to get behind the team. So, yeah, I agree. Exactly. I think, uh, unfortunately, maybe a little knock for Torreira uh, playing for Uruguay in the United States in Houston the other day against Mexico. So, um, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. I would love to see him start if he can. Uh, I think it's really, really important, and I would love to see Lacazette and Aubameyang continue together, but we'll see what he thinks. I mean, the one thing we saw against Cardiff is we really did miss Mkhitaryan and Bellerin working that right channel. So, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. Um, I think we can leave it there. We will definitely come back with a post-Newcastle pod, uh, probably leave Tim off it since he won't have seen the game, but his uh, his preview will be up soon. And please, uh, if you would love to sign up for our Patreon, we'd love to have you there. We post uh, ad-free episodes of the main pod. We have... uh, uh tim's season or uh, again match previews easy for me to say uh that'll be up weekly now which is great we're doing our in the spotlight series where we focus on individual players we have some special guests lined up uh and some other special pod episodes as well as we might be doing some video content as well uh tim's uh match previews being among them we should probably stop because it seems like my tongue may be uh going numb or something i don't know in any event we really appreciate you listening and supporting us for those who support on patreon thank you if even if you don't thank you so much for listening as always we are uh so grateful to have you uh i speak for everyone even paul who is not here to tell you to go fuck yourselves which is great and uh <laughs> give us a five-star review write nasty things about paul in the comments he deserves it Scott will be back on a future pod as well uh tim's on twitter at stoberto thanks tim my pleasure as always indeed uh clive's on twitter at clive P A F C. thanks clive
4: Thank you very much.
1: My name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review, as mentioned, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle.
4: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.